Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Carl. I'm the pastor at Trinity Church Unley. It's uh, great to be with you today. Hey, we're doing something a little different today. I'm taking you out for a run with me, and uh, we're going to be joining me from the trails, not from the studio today. Now, you might be wondering, why on earth are we doing something like this? Well, the answer to that is that in Ephesians chapter 4, we're looking at the body and particularly about building up the body. And with gyms closed at the moment and no possibility of going there to build up the body, I've um, been trying my hand at running, doing my best to build up the body. Now, I've never really been any good at running, so I won't be able to keep this up for very long, but uh, at least for the next few minutes, hoping you'll be able to join me as we run along. Well, this week, um, I've been looking into some interesting facts about the body. Do you know that our mouths produce nearly a litre of saliva every day? Do you know that if you laid out all the blood vessels in the body end to end, they stretch around the world four times? Do you know that each year we lose nearly three to four kilograms of dead skin? I think that's pretty gross. You might have a think about where all that dead skin goes. Well, Paul's not so much interested in how much skin we lose, but for Paul, the body is a great way for him to describe the Christian church. Well, Paul seems to like this image of the body because our bodies are made up of lots of different parts, just like the church. Our bodies are made up of fingers, ears, nose, knees. Yeah, I can feel them today. And the church is a bit like that too. And just like the church, we needed each of those parts for the body to really function together. I mean, what good would an ear be just lying on the ground? So the church is really only able to do what the church is supposed to do when all of the parts of the church are doing their job. I wonder this morning what you think the church is supposed to do. What do you think the mission of the church is? I'm going to give you just a minute or two to talk about that with those who you're watching church online with today. What's the church supposed to do? Well, I wonder what you came up with. What do you think the mission of the church is all about? Mission statements are often pretty clunky, aren't they? The one I like best is Google's. It says something like this. The world's information, one click away. Well, I wonder what you think the mission of the church should be. In Ephesians chapter 4, I reckon Paul answers that question by saying that the church's mission is really simple. It's simply to grow. Well, as you know, I can hear, I'm starting to get pretty puffed. I'm going to have to stop this soon. 
But I hope you get the idea. Ephesians chapter 4 is about building up the body. And maybe when you look at this chapter again, you'll remember me going for a run, trying desperately to build up my own body. And you'll remember what this passage is about. Well, thank you all so much for sticking with me. I realise there probably is nothing really worse than watching a nearly middle-aged man exercising on the TV, is there? So thank you so much for sticking with me. I hope that illustration of running and building up the body is helpful for you as we look at this chapter. Well, if you've got your Bibles nearby, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And as you're doing so, let me just give you a little bit of context. We're at a turning point in the letter. In the first three chapters of this letter, Paul has built a strong theological foundation for us. He's told us what God has done, that he's chosen us, adopted us, made us alive, brought unity between divided people, included us, the Gentiles, in his great plan of salvation. He's revealed himself and and made access available to him through his son. In chapter 4, Paul's going to start telling us then what we must do given what God's already done for us. If you're the sort of person who'd like to know where we're going today as we work our way through this passage, click over on the notes section. There's um, a little uh, outline for the talk there today. And you'll notice that we have three steps today. Firstly, I want us to see that building up the church, bodybuilding if you like, requires the right attitude. Secondly, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into this idea of growing the church, of what it means, to see what's involved. And thirdly, we're going to see, well, there's some supplements to help in this job of bodybuilding, the supplements that Jesus gives to help the body grow. Well, verses 1 to 6 of this chapter help us to see that we need to have the right attitude when it comes to building the body. Let me read to you from verse 1 of chapter 4. If you do have your Bibles, please do follow along with me. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. In chapters 1 to 3 of Ephesians, we see all the privileges and the wealth and the blessings that the church has in Jesus. And when you have so much... You know, so often people become arrogant or proud. Now, I think of a a really absurdly wealthy businessman. They so often just kind of flaunt their wealth and abuse their privilege, don't they? But this is not and never will be the appropriate response to the riches of the gospel. Paul himself, well, he's in prison because of the gospel. And he reminds the church of the attitude they need to have in response to the gospel. That's an attitude of humility and gentleness and patience. And as they build the body, as they build the church, they're also going to have to bear with one another in love. 
Now, that can be hard, can't it, to bear with one another, especially amongst family. I imagine that a few of us have been tested in our ability to bear with one another lately. There's nothing like forced time with family all stuck together under the same roof to test our gentleness and our patience and our ability to bear with one another. Well, those same pressures exist in the church, in the church family. Now, Trinity Church Unley, we're still a pretty new church, and so in many ways we're unfamiliar with each other, and so we're being polite to each other. But sooner or later, each of us will begin to learn, you know, information about ourselves, like who empties the metaphorical dishwasher at church, or who puts out the metaphorical bins. Conversely, we're also going to learn who leaves the metaphorical dirty laundry in the corner of every room. You might get frustrated and annoyed with others at church. And if after picking up that thousandth dirty sock, you kind of find this attitude of righteous indignation creeping in, you know that one that feels so justified, so right? Well, if that's our attitude, Paul's saying the church's mission might be compromised. Now, of course, those metaphorical dirty shocks, they should never have been left around in the first place. But if they are, Paul wants us to have the right attitude one of humility and patience and gentleness and a willingness to bear with one another in love. Now, wouldn't you love to be in a family like that? Or in a church like that? A church that's unified and connected and where everyone is humble and patient. But the oneness of the church, the unity of the church, Paul's not asking it just because it's a feel-good thing, because it would be nice to be involved in. No, the oneness of the church finds its basis in their being one God. Back in chapter 2, Paul's already spelt out the oneness that we share in Jesus. There's no Jew or Gentile. We are one in Jesus and now we're being encouraged to live that out. And Paul drives home this oneness by using the word one seven times in these verses. There's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And therefore, there can only be one body that is the church. You know, I think the wider Christian church, and ourselves as well, we need to keep working at our oneness, at our unity in Jesus. Now, having said that, of course, there may come a time when a real and meaningful split is necessary in the church, when the fundamental truth of the gospel is being discarded. But we should still always seek unity. Here's what John Stott says on this. There is room for differences in conviction amongst us as to the precise form or forms of in which God wants Christian unity to be expressed. But we should all be eager for some visible expression of Christian unity, provided always that we do not sacrifice fundamental Christian truth in order to achieve it. Okay, so we've seen the attitude that we need to build up the body of the church. Humility, patience, and forbearance. Now, I want to dig in with you to look a little more closely at the mission of the church. We're living in difficult times. It's not that the church has never faced trials or difficulties before, But our inability to meet together is unique in our lifetime and unprecedented in Australia. 
Trinity Church Adelaide was planted in something like 1838. And this is the first time since then that our own church has not been able to meet together in person. Now, I'm not sure if anyone really knows how much longer we'll need to keep this social distancing up. And with so many changes happening in this world, I really appreciated the reminder in Ephesians chapter 4 about the purpose of the church or about our mission. And so I want to remind you about what the church is supposed to be and do as we work our way through this chapter. That'll be good for us as we keep remembering what we're supposed to do and then work out how we do that with the restrictions that are in place. So, what are we supposed to do as a church? Well, I want you to have a look with me first at verses 12 to 13, but I'm going to read from verse 11 as verse 12 starts mid-sentence. This is what it says, starting from verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Can you see there the mission of the church in the second half of verse 12? The mission is the building up of itself. Now you could call it bodybuilding. I'm thanks, thankful for the pastor at St. Helens who introduced me to that idea this week. Yeah, that's why you're out running with me. The mission of the church is to build the body, to grow. I think there are three ways in which we are to grow as a church. Firstly, we're to grow in maturity so that we become more like Jesus. Can you see that with me there in verse 13? We are to become mature. That means, I think, that we'll have knowledge of the Son of God, both in our heads, that we'll know Jesus, kind of academically, if you will, but also that we'd know him in our hearts, that we'd be living for him. We see this idea again in verse 15. There we see the church growing in every respect to be the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Becoming the fullness of Christ doesn't mean that we'll become Christ, but rather, as John Stott puts it, see, the church's goal is not Christ himself, not to become him, but it's our own maturity in the unity which comes from knowing, trusting, and growing up into Christ. For the church, building the body means growing in maturity. It also means growing in unity. Now we've already seen that in verses 1 to 6, but we see it again here in verse 13, where it's the unity that we're reaching for. And we see it in verse 16, in the imagery of the body with all its parts joined and held together with supporting ligaments working together. So the church's mission is to grow to become more like Jesus, to become more Christ-like. That means that the church will be growing in unity and growing in the knowledge of the Son of God, eventually attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Where to grow in maturity, unity, and thirdly, I think, we're also to grow in numbers. 
Now, this is a little less clear in the passage, but I do still think it's on view. In verse 10, Paul's describing the gifts that Jesus gives, and we're going to take a look at that shortly. But Jesus is doing this, did you see, in order to fill the whole universe. And for me, that harks back to the idea in Genesis of filling the earth and subduing it. And I think the idea of growing in verse 15 also incorporates the idea of growing in size. And the idea of growing in size also fits with the gift given to the church of evangelists. See, evangelists are those who tell the good news to those who don't yet know it. So here are the three ways in which we are to grow to build the body as a church. Maturity, unity, and new people. It's a big mission, isn't it? What a task we have been given. But fortunately, it's not just left up to us to do without any help. See, in verses 7 to 11, we see that Jesus has given gifts to help the church in this bodybuilding project. You could almost call them supplements. You know how bodybuilders use supplements? Although these supplements are not illegal in any way. So what are the supplements or the gifts that are given to the church? Well, there are kind of two different sorts. The first of the sorts, that's a gift for everyone in the church. Let me read to you from verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And after speaking of the unity that we all enjoy in the church, here Paul turns, I think, wonderfully and speaks of the diversity. To each one of us, grace has been given. So, although the church is to be unified, it's not a a blamange of sameness. No, each of us has been given gifts as Christ apportioned them. We're not all the same, and I reckon that's a great thing. In verse 8, Paul continues to talk about the gifts that are given to the church. Let me read on. This is what it says. When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Now Paul's quoting here from Psalm 68. In this psalm, God is being called to come to the aid of his people, to to rescue them as a conquering king. A king who climbs to his place of sanctuary. A king who will return from battle victorious. In the ancient world, a conquering king would return from battle with the spoils of war, with the plunder. And that plunder would follow after them. And then it was given as gifts to the people. Now Paul applies this picture to that of Jesus. See, he's the risen and ascended king. He's victorious. In his battle over death, he's defeated death. And as the ascended king, he gives gifts to the church. Now in verse 11, we see that other category of gifts. And these are gifts that are not so much given to individuals, but gifts given to the church as a whole. Let me read verse 11 again. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. There are other parts of the Bible that talk about the spiritual gifts. And this is not an exhaustive list of gifts. 
I think really what Paul's doing here is specifically lifting gifts associated with teaching the word. It's great to have teachers of the word of God who help build up the church. I've benefited immensely from great Bible teachers, both in previous churches that I've been to and at Bible college and so on. I hope you were encouraged by Jack's teaching last week from chapter 3. I thought it was terrific and really encouraging. See, Jack has obviously been given the gift of teaching and preaching. Now, of course, he's still got to put some effort into using that gift. That's why Jack's at college and that's why he's doing a traineeship with us. He's working on the gift given and he's exercising it and strengthening it. But if you think back to Jack's work last week, isn't it great that the church has been gifted Bible teachers? I've quoted John Stott a couple of times already this morning. Let me do it again. Here's what John Stott says about Bible teachers. He says, Nothing is more necessary for the building up of God's church in every age than a supply of God-gifted teachers. What a wonderful thing to say about teachers. It's important, isn't it, to have teachers and Bible study leaders and preachers and college lecturers and, and those who teach but I want you to see here that these teachers are not really the ones who do the main work of building the body that is the church. No, rather the teachers, those who have been gifted in that way, well, they're there to equip the church body as a whole for works of service. Can you see that there in verse 12? All of us, you and me, the whole church has been equipped for works of service to build the body up. Other translations use the word ministry here, so that it's the body of the church that is equipped for works of ministry. That makes sense, because ministry and service are are kind of interchangeable words. I've been thinking about this a little bit this week, particularly about language and how I might describe what I do. In the past, I have called myself a minister, a minister of God's word. But Ephesians 4 means I probably ought to be a little more nuanced than that. And it might be better to describe my job or my role as a pastor. Because you also are ministers. You are ultimately the ones who, through the power of God, are growing the church. This was made clear by a man called Lloyd John Ogilvie. Some of you might have heard of him before. He was the 61st chaplain to the American Senate, and he was a senior pastor at the First Presbyterian Church in Hollywood. When he first became a member of the staff team, on his very first Sunday at that church, as he was being introduced to his new church, he stood up and he said, I want to introduce you all to the ministers of this church. Strange thing to say on your first day. And then he pointed to the congregation and he said, you are the ministers. I'm the pastor. You are the ministers. Now, He wasn't here just trying to squirm out of his responsibilities. No, he was explaining Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 13. See, Christ has gifted the church so that it will grow. The teachers are to equip the body so that together all of us get to participate in the works of service. Together, we're involved in the mission of growing the church. It's our collective task. To build the body up. And just in case you missed how we do that, we do it by speaking the truth in love. 
You'll see that in verse 15. I want to say a very big well done to you all at this point. Because in the main, I think you've done a wonderful job of doing this at Unleash. You are a great encouragement to me, and I think and hope a great encouragement to each other in the way that you serve and the way in which you speak the truth in love, both to each other within the church and also to those who don't know Jesus. I've seen you do this by inviting others to join us at those mission events that we run. I've seen you speak the truth in love to those who don't know Jesus by inviting them to come to courses like life and bringing your family and friends to our Easter and Christmas services. I've been so encouraged by the many of you who have been part of small group Bible studies. Even when we're online, trying hard to delve deeper into the knowledge of the Son of God. Here's something to be praying for and thinking through that. With social distancing, church looks different. How can you stay engaged in the mission of growing the church? And what opportunities do you have at the moment to speak in truth and love to others about Jesus? It might just be that the uncertainty in the world at the moment gives us more opportunities than ever before to pray for friends and family who don't know Jesus. It may be that we have lots of opportunities to express our confidence and hope in Jesus. More opportunities than we've ever had before. Can I encourage you to keep praying that you'd have chances to speak in truth and love to others. Now, it may be that our changing world affords you more time to go deeper with God yourself, to get to know him better, to grow in maturity yourself over the coming months. Maybe you'll have opportunity at the moment to lead your children or your nieces or your nephews in the knowledge of the Son of God. Maybe you could read that book that's been sitting on your shelf for a long time. See, our world is changing at the moment, and yet our mission as a church stays the same. Each one of us has a role to play in building up the church in number, in unity, and in maturity. I want to encourage you this morning to keep working on this great project of bodybuilding. Today, we've reached a turning point in the letter to the Ephesian church. We've moved from doctrine to duty, from what God has done to what we must do. And Paul starts not so much with the individual, but rather with the church, the body that we all belong to. And he shows us that the imperative is to build that body, to build it in number and in unity and in maturity, so that it would grow to the very fullness of Christ. And that job of bodybuilding, of growing the church, it's a job for all of us. Each of us have been gifted to help in that task. Some of us might have been set aside to teach and equip, but all of us have a role to play in the building up of the church by speaking the truth in love. Well, let me pray for us that we do that. Father God, we thank you that we can be part of the mission of the church to grow it, in unity, in maturity, and in numbers. We thank you that you've given us gifts to be involved in that. We thank you for our teachers who equip us. But we pray, Father, that you would give us lots of opportunities to put the mission of the church into practice in our own lives. Please give us lots of chances 
to speak the truth in love to those who don't yet know you and your son. Please give us opportunity to speak the truth in love to others in order to build them up in their faith also. We ask all this trusting in the powerful name of your son. Amen.